I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. What is the bake today? So, today, um, we're going to make this afterwards, so we haven't tried it quite yet, but it is... Wait, I have to try to pronounce it correctly. One moment. Bernost cheese waffles. Yeah. So, we are doing a Norwegian murder or crime today. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently, with these, it's basically like cheese-covered waffles. You know, I'm just going to do um, waffles out of the box. Nothing too fancy. I've got a cute little waffle maker. Mm-hmm. And then what you can do is you can put the jam of your choice, strawberry, grape, whatever you prefer, and then um, some goat cheese on top. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, I, we kind of looked it up. We're, I think Bernas cheese is essentially goat cheese. Yeah. Um, it can be caramelized on top, too. It sounded really interesting. Yeah. Cheesy waffles. It's like in the picture that I looked up of it, too, it's not like a melted cheese. It's like a big stripe of cheese that's like laid on top of it. Yes. I'll post a picture. Yeah. So we'll post the picture of what it's supposed to look like because there's a very, very good chance that the ones that we make will not will not <laughs> yeah. be as pretty. I mean, a lot of the times what we end up making don't turn out as good looking as the picture, but they usually taste they pretty taste good. good. So I am, I'm really excited to try this. Yeah. Um, it's not something, you know, like how, uh, kind of reminds me of like fried chicken and waffles. Like you wouldn't think yeah. that they go together, but they do. Interesting so, combination. Right. So I'm thinking that um, maybe the cheese is like a, a really um, a, a good surprise. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we are covering um, a Norwegian case today. And so this week is the 10th anniversary of this attack in Norway. Um which happened on July 22nd in 2011. Um, and it's known as 22 July. Um, it was and still is Norway's bloodiest and like biggest terrorist attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was obviously a huge, huge deal. Um, and today, what we're going to, what, we're going to do and talk about is obviously I'm going to say what happened because uh, to understand you need to know. Right. Um, but I really want to follow one of the survivors and what happened to him and his story after and his name is Viliar Hansen. Okay. And um, I also watched this movie called 22 July last night again. I saw it a couple years ago. It's a really really good movie. It's on Netflix. Um, which also does the same thing. It covers the attack in the very beginning, so you know what happened, but it really does follow Viliar, and it's true story, and um, Viliar is a really strong person, so I, you know, wanted to talk about him, and um, give a shout out to this movie. It's super good. It goes over, this movie goes over, like, what happened, and the trial, and Viliar's recovery, and stuff like that, um, really well. It's pretty 
and I did fact check the movie as well. Um, and there are only like a few differences that they had changed, but it's mostly like mostly factual. So it's pretty straightforward. Um, and it does a really good job. It is in English, but it is made, um, with an entire crew of Norwegian crew and Norwegian actors. So it's really good. It's long. It's two and a half hours, but it, it's like worth watching. Right. So. That's, it sounds really interesting. I'm really looking forward to hearing about it's this. It's a very good movie. Okay. So this happened, um, in Oslo, Norway, which is their capital. Anders Breivik is the t- name of the terrorist. And the first thing he did before he did anything was he typed up this European Declaration of Independence, is what he calls it. And it's like his manifesto. Okay. And he emails it out to everybody in his contacts. Let everyone know he's doing this, basically, without really saying he's doing it. And then... He dresses as a police officer and drives out to Oslo because he's he has like a farm, which is 145 kilometers east of Oslo. So he drives to Oslo and parks a windowless white van next to the Department of Justice building with the prime minister's offices in it. In the it's like in the um, government district in the heart of Oslo. He lights a fuse in the van and walks away from it. And then there's security footage of him doing that. And then he gets in another vehicle that looks the same and drives Uh away. And the van blows up and takes out a large section of the building. And the impact of the bomb, it doesn't really go out. It goes, like, up. So the van, like, explodes and, like, the, like... The debris and everything goes up the building. Okay. Um, does that make sense? What I'm yeah, to say? I, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so um, the prime minister was not in the building at the time. And the building was immediately evacuated. Um, a lot of people were injured and eight people died um, in the building. So... <clears throat> What's happening at the same time as this, simultaneously, um, on Utya Island, which is just outside Oslo, an annual camp for children of left, uh, like, the Labor Party okay. um, politicians, they go, um, it's an overnight camp on the island, and so it's... They, the kids who go there, they go every year. Their parents are all friends and work with each other. Um, it's a very small community. It's a very small island. It's just a summer camp. But um, so they do fun things, you know, like soccer and play games. But they also are there as like children of the Labor Party um, politicians. So they're there to learn about government and stuff, too. So it's oh, that kind of camp. Okay. All right. Yeah. And um, so on. Utya Island, all of these kids are hearing about um, what's going on in Oslo. And many of them, their parents work in that building, mm. you know? So they're, they, the kids start, you know, understandably getting very nervous and trying to call their parents, um, including Viliar Hansen and his little brother uh, Tojes, Toja. Oh. 
Um, their parents were not in the building at the time. And their mother, Kristen, is the mayor of Svalbard, which is a little island off of Norway, but it's still part of Norway. So, um, meanwhile, uh, Andres Breivik is now heading to Utia Island after he blows up the government building. <gasps> oh, so, no. yeah. Still dressed as an officer, he pretends to be sent to guard the and protect the island and the only way to get there is a ferry so a ferry is called for him and he gets on and manages to get to the island and what okay so Breivik starts this trail throughout the island um of just shooting left and right it's it's so awful so he starts to go inland and most of the kids um he had he pretended that he wanted all all of them gathered together pretending to give like he's dressed as a police officer so he's pretending to give like a debriefing of um what happened with the bomb to these kids right so most of them are gathered like on the campsite and like soccer field on the island and he moves inland from the shore we're getting off the ferry and the campsite is sort of in the like the center and there's also a little cafe and he shot everyone who was all of the kids who were in the cafe and killed everyone in there Wow. It's it's so awful. How many were in there? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. I do know the number, but I don't know, like, total, but okay. I don't know how many were in the cafe okay. at that time. And then he moves past the cafe towards the campsite where most of the kids are and just starts shooting left and right and kids start running and fleeing as fast as they can and it's like total chaos and kids are just being gunned down as they run away and um it's so it's just like so insane like you're there for a getaway weekend with your friends and people you've known your like whole life probably and the other terrifying thing is they're on a very small island. They're stranded. You yeah, know? right. Then it, there's not many places to go. So oh. a group of the kids, including Villar and Toje, they run for the cliffs and hide <gasps> on the rocks. Oh. So not they don't jump down to the beach, but they're hiding like pressed up against the rocks. So if he looks down, he can't see them. Okay, that's smart. Yeah, doing your best, you know. And Villar calls his mom oh, no. and manages to say they're shooting at us before he loses a connection. And this is ugh, a lot of parents. So first, the kids were so worried about their parents being attacked. And now parents who are leaving the building are getting calls oh, and voicemails from gosh. their children. That's just a horror. Oh, my gosh. I This is a horror movie. It is. This is horrible. It's, I can't imagine, like, I don't have children, but I honestly can't imagine anything more gut-wrenching and terrifying than that, you know? So, police 
immediately because so many parents are getting these calls and that's just terrifying and some of the texts and voicemails of like the last words of these kids have been like released by the parents like you know talking about it I'm not gonna read them like it's it's a lot it's really hard to listen to yeah yeah um so please start rushing to get to um Utia Uh, as fast as possible because they just know there's nowhere for these teens to go some of the teens jumped into the ocean and started swimming away from the island and were helped by civilians with boats who started to go out towards the island that would almost be my first response i feel Uh, i don't know (coughs) to jump you never know i would think yeah i would i would just want to get away yeah i mean it depends on how small the island is but yeah, I'd probably just it's try to get small. in the water. Here, and, I'll show yeah. you a picture of the island. And then I'll, I'll also post a picture. And, like, the summer camp, that's the only thing on the island. Because it's so small. It's literally just a summer camp there. It's not, no towns so or anything. So, it is pretty small, but it's very wooded. Yes, so, I actually don't know if I would. You know, I might, I think I might actually, I probably would try to hide in the trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Breivik starts making this trail. He right. he goes all around through the woods, um, throughout the whole island, trying to like right. pick, find groups and just pick people off one by oh. one. People who didn't manage to jump in, right? And were just trying to hide. Oh. Um, and Breivik starts yelling at the kids that who are like running away from him that they're marxist that they're liberals and that's why they have to die and because he is a right-wing extremist oh god so this is very politically charged and i'll go into like his other his other reasonings you know Mm um but how could it not be you know this is a camp for children of politicians yeah uh it's a government summer camp for kids it's obviously political they're Uh, children yeah this is that's this is horrible it it's so awful like why would he think that that's the way he'll say why okay yeah okay oh he's a garbage person sounds like it um he calls the police twice actually while he's on the island right does and he says i'm done i did what i came to do you can come get me now like i surrender so but um he calls but continues to shoot too like i think the second time he calls is when he actually stops but um he the first time he calls the police they ask for his phone number and then he kind of panics and hangs up but he calls again later and that's when he says okay i surrender so it's it's but strange. if you call police, don't they know his phone number? <coughs> it yeah, it might have been like a satellite phone or something. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um. So the group of kids that were hiding on the cliffs, including Villar and his brother, they are seen. Oh no! And so they decide they have no choice but to jump uh-huh. down off the rocks onto the beach. A few of the kids are shot dead immediately, Ugh. and Villar is shot in the leg, both of his arms, the left shoulder, and then um, his right 
eye <gasps> or not it didn't go through his eye but like the right side of his brain head Whoa. and um it affected his eye as well and his brother troje starts stays to help Viliar and no. tries to help him and Viliar just tells him to run to go yeah. and save himself and the two are separated um and Viliar is actually able to as he's laying there he like pretends to be dead uh-huh. and Breikvik walks away and he's able to like reach up before he loses consciousness and like he said he felt like his brains <gasps> in his head Ooh. and that's when he passed out yeah that would be that the shock of that and registering that that's your brain like i mean and the blood loss and yeah everything is just it terrible. sounds like it's fortunate that he passed out yeah. i mean you don't want to sit there you don't want to feel that no yeah um so a helicopter that was flying by it was a news helicopter actually filmed some of the kids being executed on the rocks no i would not recommend to look at that because no oh god yeah so that did you see it i did see it i didn't mean to yeah but i was trying to find pictures of the island what it looked like and then if you just google the island you're going so it's up to your discretion but no, you'll I, see I the pictures see and it's it, oh god it's awful as the news crew that's witnessing this happening obviously they don't have the means to go down there and and do they can't they're helpless they can't really yeah. do anything i mean they could possibly get shot at they could be giving this man some way to escape yeah. possibly yeah they if they were to land there i mean it's not like they can take a helicopter full of kids that's mm-hmm. there's also like weight restrictions and like it's, i mean safety yeah so as the as the helicopter you can't really do anything i guess the only thing you can do is record it which is horrifying just being those people that are so helpless watching this mm-hmm. yeah oh god it's not i mean as a reporter, it's kind of like, you know, you're like your duty to get this out to the world and like show people. But also like that would be like something heavy for me personally. Like I wouldn't want that job, that kind of reporting. And I don't well, know. Who would, knows what kind of reporting they were like yeah. they were doing. Maybe they were just doing a weather report of the ocean that day and or the water that day. Maybe. And, and, and I, I mean, see they're, they're within the vicinity, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah that's you never know what you're gonna catch right oh so one of the dead um his name was trond bernston and he was actually the princess the princess's stepbrother princess uh met marie so the royal family lost somebody that right. day too yeah is, which is just insane um so police arrive on the island and Breivik surrenders, which is what he said he was going to do when he called. Um, and the search for survivors begins. And Villar is found on the beach and is taken to the hospital in critical condition. Mm-hmm. And he goes into cardiac arrest pretty quickly. 
Um, he has an exit wound to his head, like right. we were saying, obviously, um, that needed immediate care. But also he has huge, like, gaping hole in his leg mm-hmm. and both of his arms and the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Which all of those need, like, you need, you gotta stop the bleeding and right close it. Um, and he has to go into surgery immediately. So, meanwhile, th- while Villar's in surgery, and I'm kind of, I'm following the structure of the film now as well. So, it's going to go back and forth with what's happening in court and with Villar. So, that's okay. how we're going to do it. So, Greivik tells police that he is part of a military operation attempting a coup d'etat on Norway. And that's why he did it. He tells the authorities he was selected for this mission and that his brothers are waiting for his signal for a third attack. But he is authorized to negotiate with the police. He's Uh, so cocky. He's smug and, like, just so proud of himself. Oh, my gosh. You just, like, you just want to say, like, you what? to him like sitting there so smug as he says this oh ugh. I, ugh, my gosh i just don't know how every single person that looks at him isn't just completely enraged mm-hmm. yeah and he says the aim of this group that he's in is to end immigration in norway putting a complete ban on it and to end enforced multiculturalism uh because Norway's prime minister at the time is part of the Labour Party, and he supports, um, you know, immigration and multiculturalism in mm-hmm. Norway. And the prime minister was actually supposed to be on Utya that afternoon to give a speech to the kids. And he himself was um, a camper there in his youth. So it was very much... Uh, totally planned why wasn't he there um he was heading there he was going to be going there um but the timing was off he was supposed to be there later in the day and breikvik just like didn't know what time he was supposed to be there something like that um he claims to be part of this group called the knights templar and to get rid of islam as well and that if the prime minister does not agree to his terms to end uh, immigration, the attacks will continue. So, like, national security of Norway and the prime minister don't want to negotiate with him, but they're also trying to get information because they, everyone, you know, he's saying there's people out there who are going to do a third attack. Um, so it's time, it's like a time crunch to try and figure out who these people are and everything. Breivik requests a man named Gear Lipstein to represent him in court and chose him specifically because um, they had apparently met before because Lipstein had um, defended a neo-Nazi in a past case. So Breitvik thought, you know, he might be on my side since he defended this person before. Andres, when he speaks with this lawyer, he tells him, I've started a war to take back Norway, and defending me will be the greatest thing you ever do. Like, screw you. What? Yeah. And Lipstadt says it's his duty to take this case, but he does not agree with what Breitvik did, and he himself is a member of the Labor Party, and his children had been to Utsia before. 
So he says, why me? If I'm part of the Labor Party, which you hate so much. And Breitvig says, I don't know if this is a direct quote or if they just threw this line in for the movie. But mm-hmm. he says, um, well, you're my lawyer. You could be an exception. So he's just throwing out his code for this guy, for this one person. So as a lawyer, you have <laughs> to take a case? Um, I don't think you have to. But mm-hmm. this guy clearly saw it as he's a defense lawyer. Right. He he saw it as his duty to do it. But he was not happy about right. taking it, you know. I, I don't know. I would have said no. But, like, somebody's got to do it, you know. Right. Yeah, you have to have, he has to have representation um, legally. Parents are flooding into a victim reception center in Oslo, looking for their kids. Villar's parents go there, Mm -hmm. and they find their son, uh, Torje, so he's alive, and made it off the island unharmed. Good. Um, But they have no idea where their son Villar is, because he was taken straight to a hospital, and he was unconscious, nobody knows his name oh my or anything gosh. so his parents couldn't be notified and his parents start frantically calling hospitals hoping he's there you know and not dead because all they know is that their son left him shot on the beach yeah trojes said he saw his brother get shot and told him to run and that's the last thing his brother knows and i mean after seeing that after seeing multiple gun- gunshot wounds to your brother Mm-hmm. You'd think I would. You saw him shot in the you'd head. You think he was, yeah, yeah, that he was dying. That oh, is so hard. It, I, it's like the most sickening feeling. I right, can like I want to cry. Like that just like makes me kind of emotional thinking about just that fear that the brother had for mm-hmm. his brother that he left on the beach. Yeah, that's such. That's that's so sad. Yeah. So while his parents are calling hospitals trying to find him. Villar is actually in surgery. A piece of his skull was removed to get the partial fragments of shrapnel out. His parents finally get a call from a hospital, and he had a burn mark on the back of his neck. So his mother is telling him from a previous injury mm. um, to identify him. And one hospital says, okay, he's here. So his parents are finally able to get to the hospital, and the doctor tells them... Um, a bullet, the bullet exploded in his head. And the fra- there are fragments near his brain stem that it, it's a very, very dangerous surgery. So there's no guarantees at this point that he'll live through this surgery, but they have to try and remove those, which is just awful. And Villar's best friends, Andres and Simon, are among the dead. And that's when people find out the total total amount of people who died is 77 eight at the government building and 69 children on the island um and it was by one and people are just you know shocked this magnitude of an attack it was one single person that they know of so far you know wait i'm sorry i was i was just still thinking about the horror of the day how many kids did you say eight Adults at the government building right. and 69 kids on the island. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Mm. It, it just, it just like, astounds me. 
um, how that could happen. And it's it's so tragic. One one person. One person. And it's because it's on an island where they can't they can't exactly. get away. So where were the adults on the island? Um, they were pretty much they were um I know that the camp coordinator, like counselor, she was shot immediately along with a few other adults who were like um, they had told the kids to wait at the campsite while they got him off the ferry to talk to him because they think he's a police officer. So I'm sure some of the adults were like out there on the campsite too. Um, but I know a few of them were shot like immediately because right. they were getting him off the ferry. Okay. Um, so 69 total on the island. Yeah. Most of them children though. I see. I, I see. guess I should have said. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Breivik tells his lawyer at this point that he specifically targeted the children to hit, to quote, hit the labor party where it would hurt most because he knew it would hurt them most to go after children. That is so messed up. Mm hmm. That is not even That's political. Evil. Yeah. The thing is, like, Really, are your political views that insane that you have to cause physical, I mean, emotional harm? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And physical harm to children. Children, yeah. Really. And that is, this is not a political thing. This is you being a sick mf'er. Yeah. I, I want to call this, that's just horrible. He's, this is definitely the worst. So sad. And I can't believe it. I've never heard about this before. Yeah, I I had heard of it um, because Morbid talks about them as well. Okay. And then I watched the movie a few years ago, and I was like, oh, I've definitely heard of this case. But yeah, um, yeah, this is it's it's such a huge thing. I I think we as people in another country should definitely know about it. You know, right. Especially as they're coming up on, like, the 10th anniversary of it this week, so. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, investigators um, are trying to find out now, like, through Homeland, like, I don't think that it's called Homeland Security in Norway, but, mm -hmm. you know, their version of it, of how this happened and how he wasn't stopped, and they find out he had bought 900 kilos of fertilizer and aluminum nitrate, and the prime minister orders an inquiry to the government as to what happened and he um ups national security of the country and informs them i want a full inquiry on our national security um you know taking those steps to hold his own government accountable and try and figure this out of okay. how he like when he bought all of those supplies why there were no red flags because there should have been yes um, if yeah. you're buying that's suspicious Right. That amount and everything, yeah. Okay. Um, so, the doctor, Villiar's doctor, manages to get some f some of the fragments out, but some that are too close to his brainstem would leave him, like, severely mentally damaged. Mm -hmm. So, it was, and it was just, like, impossible to get out. So, there's, they're left in there. Okay. Um... Villiar is able to wake up. He wakes up after six days. He was in a coma for six days. 
And amazingly, he's able to move and speak, like, as he wakes up, which nobody really expected him to be able to do. Wow. Um, he's told he will have a three-year recovery with bullet fragments that close to his brain stem could shift at any time and kill him instantly. So he he's going to live, but it will be a very hard and long recovery. And also you have to be really careful because you don't want those fragments to shift, you know? Imagine having that. I Yeah. You're like giving your life back, but not all the way. Yeah. And it's not just like, it's not that you're, you have like, I mean, it is something that you have to overcome, but you can't necessarily, like, it's not like you're paralyzed where it's like, okay, you know, like, this is something I have to learn to deal with. This is, uh, but I can still, you know, essentially, like, push myself and do as much. There's a limit. He has to kind of check himself. Yeah. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's not like, like, if he pushes himself, he could, he could die. Yeah. Like, he can't necessarily, that's just, that that would be such a hard yeah a hard thing to be i don't know diagnosed with i'm not necessarily sure right yeah to be i don't know diagnosed yeah yeah right to have to live with to have to live with um he begins therapy and he does start to walk again um so he's not paralyzed which he's so lucky you know, like, right. uh, the chances of him not being paralyzed with fragments in his brainstem were really r- low, you right. know? Um, and it's a very, very difficult recovery for him, but he is, like, s- he's such a strong person. He was very determined, I'm going to walk properly again, you know? So, um, he really pushes himself as much as he can to recover. Right, pushes himself safely. Yeah. So, Lipstadt starts a defense for, or defense of insanity for Andres Breivik. Um, and Breivik loves this idea. And he even said, you know what? This is going to make so many people so mad that he's getting insanity plea because then he would be put in a psychiatric hospital instead of prison. So he agrees to do this insanity plea simply because he know he loves the idea of making a nation, the whole nation, like, angry, which they were, understandably. Right. Um, he's clearly really not insane, but, you know, that's what they're going to go that's with. That's really the only angle they can go at if they're trying, like... Mm-hmm. That's what a lot of murderers do in America, too. I mean... Yeah. You you go for the insanity plea because that that's kind of your best option yeah. at that point. You're not... There's, but there's no denying you're clearly you guilty. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after the diagnosis... Oh, let me mention the diagnosis. Breitvik is given a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. And, oh, shoot. Yeah. And then Norway is furious and they all uh, like the people also find out Breivik demands he be allowed to quote cross-examine witnesses like that's what he says I need to speak on the stand because I have witnesses I need to cross-examine like he's thinks thinks he's I'm so worked up I can't speak he thinks he's a lawyer and his lawyer says you know 
again, I don't know if this was a real conversation between them, but I do know that is one thing he definitely wanted. Um, mm-hmm. And his lawyer is like, you're on trial. Norway is not on trial. You can't speak this way. Right. And he said, well, we'll see about that. Like, he totally thinks this is him versus Norway. You know, he thinks he's started a war. He thinks he's going to tear this country apart. Like, this is his goal, even in court. No. That's what he wants. That's so messed up. Nope. Nope. Yeah. There's no one on your side. Screw you. You're alone. Yeah. So, the court allows further psychiatric assessment before the trial can begin to prove he really is insane because so many people and the families are so angry about this that um, they do allow... So, further psychiatric assessment would be... He's already given this diagnosis, but he can be looked at by other doctors to see if they agree. Which I think is fair. Yeah. I do, too. I think think that by doing that, then it's like, okay, it's not just one guy's opinion. This is several professionals' opinions. Yes. I think that's fair. Um, Yeah, me, too. And at this point, uh, Lipstadz begins, who's Breikvik's lawyer, he begins getting, like, death threats, people calling his home, um... His children are asked to leave the school that they attend because other parents are unhappy. So, like, home life is getting really turbulent for him, too, for taking this case. And he's not even really on this guy's side. I do feel bad for him. And the movie definitely portrays him in a sympathetic light that he really, really did not like this guy. But it's like he saw it as his duty to do it, you know? Right. It's got to be such a hard thing about being a lawyer a defense lawyer especially you know you're really defending some real criminals yeah and you can look at it as okay we're just giving them you know their right to a fair trial Mm -hmm. but the thing is when you're when you're good at your job and you know the loopholes you can kind of try to jump through or go through you know it's almost, like, unfair if you don't try that with everybody. If you... Right. Like, it's not like you he can purposely do a bad job just because he thinks this guy is a scumbag. Right. Yeah. It's really checking your moral... It's so messed up because it's, like... It's even testing. if you try to say, like, okay, you gotta look at your moral code... You I gotta mean, do your job. Yeah, like... Is that necessarily the right thing to do? Because you are giving a criminal someone that did horrible things, someone mm-hmm. that's clearly guilty and delusional, a, ch- a chance mm-hmm. yeah, that you don't want to give. I don't know. It's just such a hard place for him to be in. I I would have, I would have a really hard time with that. Yeah. Because I would just want to do a bad job. Yeah. And in the movie, they definitely depict him as being, like, so torn about it. And they definitely depict him as being... Um, and I did fact check it and looked it up, and it seemed like this guy was, you know, legitimately really torn about it and, like, really unhappy with the right. case. Yeah. So I do feel for him. Um, and suddenly, Breivik wants to change his plea to guilty from insanity because he finds out 
if he's given an insanity plea, he's not allowed to stand up in court and speak. And he tells his lawyer, speaking in court is my third attack. And it will complete what I started and prove that my attacks meant something. Like, shut up. Your attacks meant nothing. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. F you. Right. But I mean, you know what? No one wants to hear it. Let him just say it. Be the scumbag he is. And then let him rot in jail. Yeah. Fine. Go for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't go. Don't go to the insane asylum. Yeah. Or don't go to, you know, a psychiatric facility. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Lipstadt has to completely start his case totally over again. Find new witnesses, new people who might want to defend him, um, which would be so frustrating as a lawyer, I would imagine. But you got to do what your client wants, and he now wants to plead guilty. So, they're totally switching it up. Um, yeah. So, wait, what are these other psychiatric... Did they also agree that he had um, schizophrenia? They did. Um, I think when he changed his plea, they no longer continued the further assessment. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think. So, at this point, Villar is out of the hospital. He returns home to Svalbard and tries to, you know, adjust to life there and heal. Um... He's given a context, context, contact lens to try and make his right eye look more normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's really, like, suffering at this time. He has, like, nightmares and his head hurts all of the time. And he he's recovering, but he's also really frustrated that he can't do some things he, you know, like, normal things right. that he used to do. Um, and I won't go, like, full into it, but, like, I would definitely recommend watching the movie because they depict these struggles of his, like, a lot more, like, detailed and, like, also, uh, Troja's recovery mentally as well and, like, um, how he struggled with his parents caring so much for Villar because he was the one who was hurt but he also has PTSD too, and like the movie really gets into stuff like that too. So that's a good point. Um, yeah, and it it shows like the bond between the brothers and what they both went through in the movie as well. Right. I did think about that. I did think about the bond between the brothers. I mean, I don't know. Like you're being attacked, and as teenagers. In your, like, you don't even really mean for it, but I would think that your first instinct would be to go to your friends just because as a teenager, your peers are, like, really important to you, and you Mm -hmm. don't, you don't really, um, you take advantage of your family a lot, I feel. Yeah. So, I was thinking how, how good it was that they went together and they stuck together through it all. Yeah. And then, like... Yeah, I mean, that's just got to create such a bond between you and your your sibling after that, after yeah. you survive something like that. Mm-hmm. And but, yeah. how, you hate to say the word lucky, but how lucky they were that they both lived and a lot of people lost their siblings yeah. that day, um, including Lara Rashid, who is one of Villiar's friends. 
um, her sister was killed that day, um, and she lived, and she, her family had immigrated from Iraq when they were really young, so she felt this on a really, on an extra personal level, because she was, like, his whole thing was, he was against immigration, right, so she, um, is asked to testify in court, and she agrees to do it. And she says she has to do it for her sister, for her friends, and for her fellow, like, immigrants, you know? Good for her. Yeah. And Villar is also asked to testify with victim testimony because victim testimony would really help to push back against the prosecution. I mean, the defense. My bad. The defense. It's just... If he doesn't get anything less than the highest sentence, at, even before the victim impact statement, or mm-hmm. is that what it would be? Um, yeah, they then, call it they call it victim testimony, but it's like it's the same thing, right? Then, um, yeah, I mean, this is just gonna help put the nail in the coffin at this point, right? Um, Villar is really conflicted about it because he says he doesn't want to see. And especially to be so close to him. But in the end, he decides to do it. And he has eight weeks before the trial begins. And Villar insists on being strong enough to not need a cane and have no shakiness so he can walk in to the trial strong and like shove it in Breivik's face. Wow. So that's another like huge thing. He's so like, strong. Yeah. Wow. I really commend him for that as well so the trial begins and at his trial when he first walks in he's just going for shock of course Breivik does a Nazi salute before speaking which of course pisses everybody off what a douche yeah and then he just spews crap about he has this glorious purpose and how others are going to pick up his mantle and that violence was absolutely necessary and blah, blah, blah. And the unfortunate thing is he's a very eloquent speaker. He can, he's very articulate and he sounds, you know, put together. But the things he's saying are horrible and totally wrong things, you know. Um, Breivik then tells the court, you know what, if you find me sane, I will spare you. I'll do you this gift of not requesting any appeals or retrials. I will spare the families that so they don't have to go through this again. Oh, you will? Oh, like, thank oh, thanks. You. Yeah. Like, you don't, ugh, he can request that stuff, but also you don't get to decide. The court decides if you are allowed to have an appeal. Right. And I doubt they would give that to you anyway. Like, ugh, God, you just, he just disgusts He just me. deserves to rot. And, okay, going back to the movie as well, the actor of him, obviously he's, he's an actor, but he does such a good job. And he just, like, you want to, like, reach through the screen and, like, beat this guy of how like smug and how he smirks and like oh my gosh and if you look up like the real trial you can like watch videos of it he's just like that too 
in real life. That's going to be hard as an actor, too. Like, is he a Norwegian actor? He is. Every Everyone in this movie is Norwegian. Okay. So, you know, he has some feelings towards this as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, he's got to play the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as an actor, it's your job and to, to, um, do a good job. Yeah. And, I mean, the better you do, the more impact you really are making, and the more you're kind of spreading the word about this history of Norway now. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's just got to be hard. It's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of um, the Zach Efron doing Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, just how this is a real person (laughs) that you are trying to capture their mannerisms Mm -hmm. and also just seem as messed up as they were yeah you're trying to get in their mind hard thing absolutely mentally Mm -hmm. it's got to be a hard thing too because actors really really get into their work and they sometimes they really try to like immerse themselves into this person yeah but then for him to be such a horrible person i I think it probably kind of affected his mental state a little bit too got to i just don't see how actors can walk away with from that unscathed and most of the time they don't like you hear a lot of actors in interviews say something about it affected them in some way right you know yeah so after Dreivik speaks that is when um the trial closes with the victim testimony mm-hmm. and lara speaks at the trial and she gives a very powerful testimony um and, of course, mentions her sister. I don't know if the movie gives her speech word for word of what she actually said. I'm guessing it's probably different from what she actually said. But you right. can look up the real trial as well. And then Villiar speaks and tells the court what happened to him and how he had to relearn how to use his body and eat again. He's blind in one eye. Um, and, he, of course, the bullet fragments. Um And then I did look up if his speech was the same as in real life, and it's not. The movie did kind of, the movie had him, like, say a joke about how it's sort of a relief that he's blind in one eye so he doesn't have to look at him, and the court kind of laughs at that little joke, but that didn't happen in real life. Mm. Um, And in the movie, they give a very passionate speech of Villiar, telling how... um, he still has friends who uh, in this world and all of the things that he may have lost, but all of the things that Breivik also has not taken away from him, like hope, family, love, and mm-hmm. all the things he's going to do. And so that speech is not exactly the same, but um, I did look up his actual testimony. So it, while it's not the same, it's still very powerful and sort of similar message as well right he was very very brave to do that and face him absolutely and he did manage to accomplish what he wanted um and walk in the court with no cane or anything oh good 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 for him for that yeah and for uh, good for all of um i'm pretty sure they were not lara and villiar were not the only two Mm -hmm. who spoke um so good for everyone all of the victims who showed up at the court and spoke and stood up for their friends and for themselves i'm ugh, that would be such a hard thing to do honestly 
That would be really hard. You know, um, in something like this, when there's a terrorist attack or, I don't know, just anything in a community happens, it really is kind of amazing the little stories that come out and the little things that restore your faith in humanity, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, with this kid's story, um, although he's going through horrible pain and just has like a lot of, um, what am I trying to say, um, barriers that he has to push through now and this should not have happened at all. Yeah. He's now able to share his message and give inspiration to others that are going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. It's like at the very, very least you can kind of try to find some sort of light, but I look, I'm saying it is amazing how, how something like this really brings the community together Mm -hmm. and really brings people together. Yeah. And one of the things that was so important of the aftermath of this too, like you were saying, um, it really was a testament to Norway, how the whole country banded together and agreed, like, he wanted to start a war, and he believed so many people were going to support him, that so many people were anti-immigration, and Norway as a whole after this came together and was like, we are not going to believe that and not going to let you tear this country apart. I'm not saying that there was nobody who had the same views as him, but right. they all, they were like, there's you're not going to get what you want. There's no war here. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Even if you're on the other side, you're in the other party, whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter when you're killing children. I think yeah. that both parties can agree that that is absolutely wrong, absolutely crossing the line. I mean, killing, killing anyone in general, mm-hmm. but just, I mean, that's just so sickening. Right. Nobody... Nobody can support that. If mm-hmm. you wanted to do some political, if you wanted to, like, I mean, an assassination's horrible. Mm-hmm. Also, don't agree with that. But there are people that would back that up. I mean, mm-hmm. if people in other countries are listening to this, um, everyone knows Trump. Everybody. Right. And a lot of people thought that Trump was going to get assassinated. Yeah. During his term. Um, and my whole point with that is. I feel like there would have been people in America, I know this is horrible, and they probably were still good people, that would have almost, like, given a little sigh of relief. I'm not saying I'm one of those people at all. Absolutely Uh not. I'm not saying I'm one of those people. I'm just saying that I feel like you'd have more support for just killing the one person that you see as the enemy, rather than killing their children. Yeah. That is just so messed up. No one's going to agree with that. Right. No. That's all I'm saying. I'm not... Okay, is that bad? What I'm saying is... No. Because I'm not I'm not saying assassination's good in any way. I'm trying to... I'm backtracking. Okay. No, I know what you're saying. Like, <laughs> even people who are willing to assassinate someone would not go to that extreme. Yes. Which proves that he is definitely just an extremist. Like, to On the max. On his own. Yes. Yeah. And even for his trial, um, his defense tried to find some people who... Um, are in this Knights of Templar group, whatever, to support him and defend him, none of them agreed to do it. So none of them were even on his side. Even though they share the same views as him, right. they were like, no. So you're right. Yes. He, he's just 
far too extreme, even for the people within his political party. Yes. So, um, yeah, that was another thing. And he thought he had all his brothers, quote unquote. No, nobody came. No one, not even his mother agreed to defend him in this trial. His mother had, she was like, don't contact me again when they came asking. She was like, we're done. Ugh. So, and he and his mother were close. But, I mean, how, I, I just, uh, I would never see my child the same again. So, I, I, no. There's no way. And that, and with the whole schizophrenia diagnosis, that, I just think that's BS. Yeah. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean you're schizophrenic. Right. He was definitely a paranoid person. Yeah. But, like, he was not, he was not mentally ill. I mean, okay, so at what point are you hearing voices? Are you having tactics? tactile disturbances right. I, I at no point was that mentioned at all like w- you haven't said the voices are telling you to do this yeah no and i even think if you even if you feel like you have schizophrenia if your your core beliefs are telling you to do this i don't believe that you can blame schizophrenia on that mm-hmm. i think that you're just a messed up person yeah it's I think they schizophrenia. they tried to stick that schizophrenia through like I was selected for this mission. He wasn't like there was no one else, you know. And he kept saying there are others who are gonna do this third attack. There was no one else, so they were like, no. "Oh, yeah. he made this all up." But that's not necessarily schizophrenia. You're just like delusional, delusional. right? Yeah, paranoid and delusional. But I wouldn't say schizophrenia. No. So From my professional opinion, <laughs> like as if I as if I. <laughs> Uh, am able actually able to diagnose things but. right <laughs> same <laughs> uh so Anders Bering Breivik is found guilty of all charges and sentenced to solitary confinement for 21 years which is the maximum sentence in Norway okay. for offenses other than genocide or war crimes which I feel like this kind of could have counted as a war crime but then again that would also be giving in to his theory that he started a war which he didn't you know this was just a terrorist attack so but i feel like aren't war crimes terrorist attacks sometimes? i mean it could be right i don't know it's against a political party yeah <laughs> what about genocide i mean that's kind of gen- <laughs> i mean he's trying to wipe out the labor party right that's what i'm so saying is like i i don't know yeah i kind of it almost falls into both of them yeah like, i don't it know just, it just misses the mark for yeah. both of those yeah i would say however if at the end of this time of 21 years the court still deems him a threat to society he could be held indefinitely in prison Oh, wait, so he can be released after 21 years of solitary confinement? He could be, <gasps> yes. No. But I, I kind of, the way he's hated in Norway, and not saying you can keep someone in prison for hate, but, like, I kind of see and hope he, that they consider him a threat to society and keep him in prison. I just have to say, if you're not planning on teaching reform, and if you don't want, if you want, what am I saying? if you're not planning on showing reform and teaching them reform then don't plan on releasing them solitary confinement is not going to necessarily it's going to teach them a lesson for sure but that doesn't necessarily teach them how to act in the real world that actually kind of separates them from society even more when you're in when you're in solitary confinement and then you're released after 21 years my interaction would not be the same 
you wouldn't you wouldn't be thinking the same because you're in your own head you'd be isolated even more mentally than ever Mm -hmm. so at that point i don't believe that there's a chance for reform after being away from people and then just released if you're planning on doing solitary confinement and then 20 or 10 or 20 more years in jail you know with the general population then that's one thing because mm-hmm. then you're giving your chan- yourself a chance to then, okay, you lived your punishment, now you're going and you're um, being put back into gen pop, whatever they call it. Yeah. Um, so where you're then interacting with other people again, and then you can go on to being released. But straight from solitary to being released is so messed up on the human brain. Yeah. Nobody's going to reform. And I don't believe that he should be released. Well, I don't believe in general he should be released. Yeah. But after that, he's not going to change. Mm-hmm. The issue was that he was already in his own head. He's going to continue to be in his yeah, own head. he's going to continue to spiral. Yeah. Yeah. So, on that note, uh, Breivik actually, in 2016... Uh, he complained that it was against his human rights and inhumane to be kept alone in a cell. And he actually won that case. Whoa. Yeah. He claimed that, uh, he complained about being lonesome and oh, complained. Oh, Yeah, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, he complained that the prison strip search violated his human rights. Oh, wait, what the hell? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. What about the lives you deprived and, uh, oh my gosh. For our own safety, you tool bag. Yeah. What the, oh my gosh. He won that case in 2016, but it was overturned in 2017. So, bless. (laughs) Um, He also complained, oh man, this makes me want to just die. Okay. He complained in prison. First of all, Norwegian prisons are, his cell is better to most college dorm rooms. He is staying, his prison quarters are three personal cells, one for living, one for exercise, and one for studying, and he has his own bathroom. He has newspapers, a computer access, uh, a personal computer, a TV, a PlayStation 2, um, and he threatened one time to go on hunger strike if he was not upgraded to a PlayStation 3. So, Ugh. Emma, she's a survivor. She was shot in the arm and managed to swim away from the island, and she was picked up by, boy, by one of um, the people, like civilians in a boat. And so, first of all, oh my gosh, she swam for her life with a bullet in her arm. Wow. Um, she said when she found out about this, "Shut the fuck up and take your punishment as the coward you are. You killed so many people and acted like God for a couple hours, and now you're complaining that you have." A hard time in jail when you don't even know what it means to have a hard time. You're a coward. You're a loser. She's a bad bitch. Well said. (laughs) Well said. She's badass. Yeah. So he complains that his coffee is too cold. He has a painful chair to sit in instead of a couch. And his pen is insufficient. His pen he's given to write with. And he has all this stuff. Like Norwegian prisons are so different from America. Like that is unbelievable unbelievable and a lot of people are really disgusted that he gets this nice cell but that's just like the standard there you know like he's not given special treatment or anything that's just the standard and 
their standard is high compared to us like your standard of living is garbage in an american prison you know but i mean i'm with them he oh my gosh should not no. be able to even make these complaints like ugh, what a piece of shit. no he should be in a six by six cell yeah. by himself nothing else maybe you can have some pen and paper uh-huh. to write down whatever you're thinking to show remorse yeah <laughs> honestly other than that i know like like isn't it the unbelievable thing, the thought is because the thing is solitary confinement yes you need to be away from people you need to literally this is punishment you shouldn't be released no you you i i am only not saying that he deserves a death penalty because that is too nice yeah <laughs> like yeah i this might sound aggressive but no he doesn't even deserve to die he deserves to rot yeah <laughs> He murdered so many people, children, mm-hmm. with zero remorse. Yeah. Zero, absolutely zero remorse. He's he's glad he did it. He says he would do it again. He deserves to be kicked in the balls at least once a day. Yeah. <laughs> at least. For the rest of his life. I mean, he's in solitary, but that is his solitary. Room for exercise and a PlayStation. A PlayStation? A computer? The computer doesn't have internet access, oh. but like... Oh what gosh. ever oh my god yep so that's his life but we're not gonna end on that we're gonna okay, end good. on some great things that Villar and Torje are doing yes so Villar is now 28 years old um he has studied law at a university in Norway and he now works in politics <gasps> good for him I know he is obviously well I shouldn't say obviously, but he's a speaker against extremist groups and terrorism. (laughs) He has spoken um, at United Nations a few times, um, and he gives talks, and um, he has, like, a thriving career as a politician, and he's done so much activism. Um, He has run two marathons at this point, which something he says he thought he was never going to be able to do. Um, the doctors now tell him that the fragments at his brainstem have naturally encapsulated, and so he is safe um, at this point. But they do tell him, you know, don't be too crazy and knocking your head around, but you he is safe to do these things, like a marathon and stuff. Yay! He's still friends with Lara today. Aww. Um, I love that. He and Torja have returned to Utia as recently as September 2020. They were there. Um, Torja is now a musician studying music production at college. Um, I follow both of them on Instagram. They travel a lot. They do a lot of things together. So if you're interested in like their travels, they go all around the world um, and see what they're up to, what kind of like activism and things like that they're up to. I love looking at. I feel like like looking at their Instagram. I feel so good inside. I'm like you go like look at you like they're truly like the two of them and Lara like ugh the survivor stories we love it we love to see yes, it yes absolutely um so there are now also three memorials in Norway that you can see I'll post pictures of them as well 
Um, there's a large metal ring that stands on Utia Island. Um, it looks like it's floating in the air, but it's really tied to a couple trees, and um, it has all of the victims' names on it. Wow. Um, and it's the, their names are like cutouts in the metal, so when the sun shines through it is when you can see their names, and it looks really, really wow. cool. Wow, that's beautiful. They have another one in the capital, uh, Oslo. With the names and ages of each of the victims inscribed on it, and it looks like a sheet of broken glass as a symbol of, like, the damage caused by the bomb in the Capitol in the building. Okay. And then the last one, the last memorial that they have is really, I think, uh, the most impactful one, in my opinion. So, the cafe on the island mm-hmm. was preserved however um it was modified a bit so it wasn't left exactly how it was but um the building still has is riddled with bullet holes a piano that some of the children were hiding behind is still there in the corner they enclosed the cafe with a pavilion behind 69 wooden pillars each of the pillars representing a person who died there on the island. Um, and it looks like it's... Um, I'll post a picture of all of the memorials so you can visualize it um, on our Instagram. And the poles kind of like let you like see through the building so that you can see it. But um, the architect says this about it. Um, the cafe building now stands like a piece of forensic evidence in this woodland uh, vitrine, chopped and sliced in a process of architectural editing so that only the rooms relevant to the events of that day are left standing. So, um, just like some of the remnants of it are left and the right. others were like modified so that, you know, you don't want to look at that. But it, it looks really cool and the most... Um, the there's a section of the building where all of or not maybe not all of but a lot of texts and voicemail transcripts of the children to their parents are up there on the wall oh of like gosh. their last words and stuff like that so it's a really like and the piano and the bullet holes like you can go and look at it and it's a really um harrowing yeah. but also like important to show that as well i mean i guess it is a part of history no matter how sad it is yeah and the parents i believe gave permission for the text and things to be used so right i just that's just so hard Mm -hmm. it i mean it is like i we've said it is interesting how people really come together and and then how it is um memorialized is that the word yeah Um, remembered yeah i mean like, it, it reminds me a lot of, like, our uh, 9-11. Right. I mean, it's yeah. a lot of li- like that where um, we have a lot of, you know, in our museums mm-hmm. and um, what is, there's a what lot is it of called? Memorials. Ground Zero? Is that the name of the memorial for 9-11? I believe so. Yeah. But unfortunately, these events are part of our history as a country. And they do need to be remembered. I mean, have you ever heard those voicemails or those uh, phone calls that are recorded from the plane? 
No, I have not listened to those. Those are really sad as well. Yeah. Um, because you're you're hearing people's voices as they know that they are about to die. Mm-hmm. It's so it's it's sad and it is gut wrenching. Yeah. Um, and it is interesting that as human beings, we keep those and we remember mm-hmm. them, yeah. and we display them. But it's a way to not allow it to be forgotten mm-hmm. and to keep it, it's a way to like keep it raw in a sense. Yeah. You know, we need to we need to know this was an incredibly serious day and yeah. a lot of people were hurt by it and it impacted a lot of people, even if you didn't even know people that were a part of nine eleven mm-hmm. or a part of this um Norwegian terrorist attack, or I guess it wouldn't be terrorist, would it? It was. It was considered okay. a terrorist attack, yes. Okay. Um, it's just, it's still, the message behind it mm-hmm. is is still powerful enough. Yeah. It is, to this day, um, Norway's largest and most impactful terrorist attack. Um, it was the most blood spilled in Norway since World War II, and remains that to this day which is it's so tragic and um so uh, and like i said the anniversary of that is this thursday the 22nd 10 years um so i'm sure like every kind of like every year we have 9-11 in remembrance they do the same thing there right 22 july is what they call it um, I see. Just like we say 9-11, they say 22 July. Right. And then everyone would know what that is. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're interested, go follow Viliar Hansen and his brother Torja on Instagram. See what they're up to. Follow us on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> um, and you can also watch the movie 22 July on Netflix. I would really recommend it. There is a lot of stuff in that movie that like just goes into further detail of like conversations between people and um yes so it's a good movie and yeah wow that was i mean that was a really good ending episode of the season um all right yeah so you know i i feel like historically i mean i learned a lot even though it's just 10 years ago this is going to be something that's never forgotten this, yeah. should, this is world history. This is not yeah. just Norwegian. We all need to we all need to know about this day and feel remorse for the people that were a part of it. And mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, obviously we all, we're like, us in America, we know that 9-11 happened in, in most of our, in mine in your lifetime. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's just crazy how this has happened just 10 years ago. This is so recent. Right, yeah. But anyway, on that note, um, this is our last episode for a few weeks yeah Uh, um, emily do you want to share what you are doing sure so yeah this will be the end of season one because i am moving to florida to go work at walt disney world and casey's also going back to work so (laughs) it's an adjustment period for both of us so we're take a few weeks a month maybe i don't know we'll see off but Rooster didn't like that. No, Rooster's really <laughs> sad about that. <laughs> and then we'll be back for season two, so we're not gone forever. Yes. No, we are not. It's just going to be um, 
where Emily's in Florida and I'm still stuck here in Illinois. <laughs> oh, especially in the winter, that's going to be hard for me. I I'm going to see like you're going to be tan and beautiful and <laughs> having just a great time and I'm going to be here white and pasty. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so this was a good season. We'll, it was. Um, um, yeah. Anyway, on that note, I'm Casey. I'm Emily. And you just heard a sprinkle of sugar, a dash of murder.